thanks for coming. Yeah. We're really sorry we don't have a bigger room. Yeah. <laughs> One day. But we're happy that you're all here and willing to cram yourselves in. Um, okay. Yeah. Can you need to introduce ourselves? Sure, yeah. Okay. It seems like, okay, so this is, welcome to Lit 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 number seven. Yeah. Um, for those of you who don't know us, uh, I'm Stephanie. And I'm Emma. And uh, we're in the realm of Sungpil, Yoon, Spare Room. Um, and, tonight, <laughs> and tonight we're also um, launching the second issue of Charcuterie, of which I am a founding editor with Bopa Chai. Where is she? Over there somewhere. Maybe. Yeah, both is by the bar. Yeah, both is by the bar. Yeah. Designed by the wonderful Victoria Lam. She's over there too. She's over by the bar as well. Yeah, we're a real like horizontal operation. Yeah. We'll like make publication, we'll serve you beer. Um and Eli is also uh, our new editor on this issue. So welcome, Eli. <laughs> and oh my gosh, I always miss things. I miss you like a lot when I do this sort of thing. You're so much better. That's okay. That's all good. <laughs> um, yeah, we're lit, 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 lit. There's four. <laughs> not three. Not three. <laughs> One. Not five. Yeah. Um, and we are a uh, bi-monthly reading series that we host in um, various different spaces. And we thank everyone for uh, who has hosted us so far. We're really happy to have so many people here tonight to come listen to uh, some, some readings tonight. Mm -hmm. So tonight we have uh, four readers and we will be taking a break in between the first two. So, um, yeah. What else? Yeah, so we have drinks for five dollars, our publication, our first one is five, and this one has a very special poster designed by Julie Major, which I would like to unveil without being <laughs> too embarrassing. <laughs> um, right, so just so everyone knows that the sticker is like not the stickiest, this one seems to be. So you are able to undo the sticker <laughs> like damaging so, without damaging your glossy poster. And inside, there's an editor's note. Mm. You take it out. suite of stickers. Each publication has a sticker on the front and there are, there's five different versions and you can buy all of them for five dollars, that sliding scale to five dollars, um, on that wonderful <laughs> chandelier of printed matter. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank, yeah, thank you so much for coming. Um, we'll just get started. Yeah, yeah. So um, we're going to read Oh wait, sorry, tonight. you wanted to say Tell something. Me. You can, oh. you can finish no, and then no, I'll no, 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 you go. What? Because <laughs> I'll read bios oh, and then they'll okay. come on. <laughs> um, Housekeeping. Thank you all for coming. Thank you for the lovely introduction. Um, my name is Songpil, <laughs> and this is Spare Room. And uh, this floor actually is the first time that it's being used since painted uh, in an event. So I'm really excited for it. <laughs> um, the specific paint uh, tone is periwinkle. And that office. The paint tone, according to home people, was Aqua Rapids. Yeah. But we will be having a actual um, art exhibition here on <coughs> April April seventh. Um, that's the opening reception of Peter Alstrom. And the exhibition name is called Layout. And um, I actually have to update the website. So it's the first time you're getting it. And uh, Spare Room, we have, um, it's now funded by BC Arts Council for about a year. Um, I am doing a mentorship with Jamie Hilder. I don't know if he's still here. So he, he is my uh, mentor, and he actually tells me what to do a lot of the times. I have it. I'm just kidding. Really um, so we got this funding to actually make this place 
not look dilapidated. Um, <laughs> you should have seen it before. It was terrible looking. Oh, great! <laughs> great! Um, no, it, it just looks a lot better, I think. So, um, welcome, and uh, maybe we should start. No, let's get started. Yeah. yeah. Sorry for talking. Yeah. No. <laughs> okay. okay so. <laughs> So okay. do we do like bios and then reader and then bio and then yeah, yeah. Do that. Yeah, exactly. Right, cool. So we have Stacy up first. And right there. Did you want to? Yeah. <laughs> sure. We'll do bios. Switch. Doesn't work for me. Yeah. <laughs> Stacy Hill is an artist, writer, and curator living on unceded Coast Salish territory. The practice considers intersections of culture, history, and embodied experience from a feminist perspective. With a background in photography and performance art. Her art often incorporates language, sound, gesture, and everyday objects. She has presented her work at Art Metropole, Gallery Okibio. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ram Gallery, and most recently in the R Full Circle, a group exhibition curated by Jamali Hassan at Artsite Windsor. She is working on a novel about plants and robots, and she also has a poem in our in our second issue. Wow. Oh, short story. Yeah. yeah. Whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Without further ado. Yeah. <laughs> um, what do I do? We're going to switch. Yeah. <laughs> 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 a lot of people here. Oh my fuck. Um, okay. Thanks everyone for coming. Um, I'm going to read two things tonight. Um, I would like to acknowledge that we are on the unceded Coast Salish territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh people. And um, I, yeah, okay, I'm gonna read this. It's like a short text that comes from um, an interview I did with my aunt. And then uh, she's like a traditional Chinese medicine practitioner. Um, and then I'm going to read the story that was published in Charcuterie 2. Um, read loud. Damn. <laughs> Can you hear me if I project like this? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to try. Okay. So this is from a collaborative text that I wrote with my friend Danielle St. Amour uh, called Prayer for Guts 2. Um, and I wrote Act 2 of it. The tip of the tongue corresponds to, to heart. Slightly away from the tip towards the back are the lungs. In the middle area of the tongue are spleen and stomach. At the very back of the tongue are kidney, bladder, and intestines. On the left side of the tongue is the gallbladder. On the right side, the liver. Normal color should be pale red. A pale color indicates def deficiency of blood. A red tongue indicates heat. Depending on the area of the redness, it determines which organ has the heat. Purple tongue indicates stasis of blood. Blue tongue indicates interior cold, giving rise to stasis of blood. A thin body indicates a chronic condition of blood deficiency and yin deficiency. A swollen body indicates dampness due to yang deficient or damp, damp heat. A cracked tongue indicates heat. A normal tongue coating should be thin white. A thick coating indicates the presence of a pathogenic factor, such as exterior wind dampness, cold, food retention, phlegm, heat, and fire. A thick white coat indicates a cold condition. A thick yellow coat indicates a hot condition. A thick gray, black, and wet coat indicates extreme cold. A thick gray, black, and dry coat indicates ex extreme heat. The absence of coating indica indicates yin deficiency. A normal tongue should be very slightly moist. A very wet tongue means yang qi is deficient, not transforming and transporting fluids properly. A dry tongue indicates heat. A sticky or slippery tongue indicates retention of dampness or phlegm. The articulatory gesture made by the tip of the tongue is called apical. <coughs> the upper front surface of the tongue, just behind the tip, 
is called laminal. The surface of the tongue under the tip is subapical. The body of the tongue is dorsal. The root of the tongue and throat is called uh, pharyngeal. <laughs> the tip of the tongue corresponds to heart. A normal tongue should be very slightly moist. Adventures from the Third Bureau is what it's called. <laughs> I don't. Oh, here it is. Yes. Okay. Adventures from the Third Bureau. She is washing her dirty underwear in the public restroom, drawing scraps of flimsy cloth under a hand blower affixed to the tile wall. She is brushing her teeth. Many days on the road now, days moving past her in silence. Someone slips into the room. Another figure emerges from a washroom stall. They approach. They stand quite close. This is unusual. It's been a long time since she's been around people. Looking from one shape to the other, she is unable to tell if the individual persons are long or short, fat or thin. She sort of forgets what faces are supposed to look like. One figure, leaning ever closer, questions her in a low voice. <coughs> do, you, do you choose to take action, or do you choose to surrender? Her first impulse is to surrender. Her voice is crackly and used to speaking. I don't understand, she says. You mean fighting, as in an action against something? It's a simple question, really. <laughs> <laughs> it's a... <laughs> It's a tricky question if you can't discern yes from no, fat from thin, a world of false, false oppositions. What's the difference? In one, you are an agent, the other a resource. She hates agents. I don't want to be an agent. Can I choose to whom I am a resource? A little bit. <laughs> but, no, not really. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you would be a wonderful resource. Oh wait, creepier. You would be a wonderful resource. <laughs> I don't feel much like a resource. I feel like a person. Oh, that would change very quickly. It's a process, you see. A uh, holistic, painless procedure. The cultural aspects, the historical sediments, they all sort of uh, leak out of you. <laughs> or sometimes sear into you, become a part of you completely. Then you are singular. You are then one of us. They smell like rain, like it's just about to rain and the atmosphere is soaked with ions. She's not even carrying her special Class S document. For purposes of leaving the island, it is necessary to obtain a special Class S document, which is a three-year-long process for a non-citizen. The S in special Class S document stands for solely Soil. She, <laughs> she pushes one agent into the other and bolts for the door. Out towards the parkade, down a flight of stairs, skip the last landing, crash through the double steel door, then into the street. She's sprinting, not even, but a motion of limbs working back and forth as fast as she can, but she can't outrun this, but it's already happening. Everything drains out of her. It runs off her like sweat until she is hollow. So fast, soon she is floating on light. The process of depersonalization is nearly complete. Let's go, they say. She lets go. Mm, there's like weird. Wait, no, no, it's not even. <laughs> <laughs> there's, like, there's like so much more. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, this is like the part where there's like some like concrete poetry looking stuff, and I had to think of some way to like, so I just. <laughs> Find yourself still awake. <laughs> <laughs> she finds she is still awake. 
<laughs> she tries to shake the feeling that overwhelms her, but nothing moves. There is no means for movement. Eyeless, noseless, fingerless, and legless, her mind and her memory are here, though untethered and not exactly capable of what she once knew was thinking. She remembers the breakfast she ate the day before, also the heating and cooling of magma on the surface of the earth from 120 million years ago, also simultaneously recalls distant glints of possibility and catastrophe somewhere towards the future. She is aware of her body, a distant point in reality, as it is captured by agents. Many possible times and places are present, all going at once. It's hard to comprehend yesterday as such. And yet, torn open and senseless, she is able to intuit the presence of other spirits that, as they drift about her. Some in isolated movements, some in tandem with a crowd, some tethered to a subject, and some, like her, unhinged. They are all so different, and yet here, in this immaterial realm, they are also not different at all. Various groups and movements form patterns such as multiples, sequences, repetitions, <coughs> mixing these together to make complicated symphonies. It's with one of these groups, pulsing in a mood that feels sort of purple or starlike, that she, be that she begins to communicate. Their rhythms moving in and out of sync speak to her as a narrative. The purplish starlight group tell her a story. They teach her that all stories <coughs> are a form of mimesis. All stories make a little world that is a bit like our own, but with possibilities beyond present reality. Telling a story is a ritual, a way to take matter, invoke its power, and shape it into what you fear and desire. Agents pick up her body, wandering through a back alley in a residential neighborhood just east of city center. Her skin is grayed and emits the smell of one of the converted. She is bound in a sheet of gossamer, fine as a silkworm's nest. That her? Yeah. Damn, another fucking escapee. How are we going to call this? Vagrancy. Apparently she was living on this route anyway. Shouldn't be a problem. She is taken away. It is efficient. Samples are extracted from underneath her fingernails, where dirt and biological matter have accumulated. Needles, scans, the necessary information slips out of her from under her skin. They examine the growth of her teeth. Under interrogation, she gives the correct responses, but the words are not a part of her. Her body is acting. The agents understand this, understand the habituated physiological reaction to various forms of trauma. They are here to study the results. That's a bunch of ellipses in a room. <laughs> Listen. This place, not a place in which presence, not present, prescient, learn you use. What is your plane, your flesh? We are hungry for one flesh, muscle, tissue, endowed, acutely tuned, sensorial, mandible, pull mineral from dirt, learn us away, us diggers, us tasters, blinders. Yes, us lick up, trade up, exchange for singular, solar, solace, chlorophyllous, above ground, millennia, codified network, spread, entangle, weaving in and out of the light, this was our way, still is, really. We roil like the dirt, your energy crashes around us, cradled in this bright web, for eternal moment, tangle, embrace. Fleshy, mitochondrial underground, teach you notice invisible gesture, unfurl your flag into the night. This place, no place, learn your way of knowing, not knowing, and here, another plane rooted in a lake, an ocean, a body, somewhere, a singular stretching across an entire planetary in my home body, was I a whole body liquid and everyone lives and shits in me full of shit and life and circulate in a state of renewal, death, perpetual, you may grasp just the edge of my cyclical motion pulled along the current as we all are, as we is not me, you accept me, not mine. The heart is rooted, the heart of the flesh. The heart is meat. I am learning to be you. I am not you, cannot you in this harmonized vibration a massive chorus, echo, sentiment, our presences gather together 
in a lake of song. The dominant culture of bird, the dominant culture of green, the dominant culture of purple, the dominant culture of stone. Bot, 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 not, bot, 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 not, bot, 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 bit, bot. The dominant culture of birds, the dominant culture of purple, the dominant culture of green, the dominant culture of stones. Meat, 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 Whirled and welcomed into the heart of the chant, her companions pull her in, offer a home for her statelessness held in a euphonic promise. In this new fan syntax, she realizes a sort of freedom that has been missing. Everywhere it has been missing, and now that it is here, now that she is completely gone, she understands her freedom and its possibilities in its entirety. She sees that she cannot inhabit this license. She cannot occupy it, but then again, she will never again be occupied. She will never belong. I'm sorry, I can't stay here, she communicates to the mass of consciousness. Thank you. I understand now. I understand that I have something to do. Knowing only their pulsing rhythm, her friends are dancing. Meet, 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 meet. Okay. <laughs> satisfied with themselves, satisfied with their work, the agents hover over her remains, squinting into the details. She sits before them, placid and immutable the perfect agent, the perfect resource. They don't come back. They never do. Cody. <laughs> <laughs> Documents burn amongst the bodies. The agents take care of the evidence. She hears flickers of their conversation and peers out at them, curious through desiccated eye sockets. Hello. What is the taste of your plane? I intuit to look permissive. Bot, 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 not bot, 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 bit, bot. She emerges horrid and radiant. It takes a moment for them to register her refurbished consciousness. Their mouths stretch wide open, their eyes open wide. They grab at their holster, they grab at their holsters, but her bounces too quickly. Ripped off arms before gun flash, then fist finds through the heart, but chest empty. Teeth kiss, the flesh tear, bite out the throat, their throats. Figure disintegration, white blood courses through water, then out again. My hands are laughing, outstretched, grim dancer is dancing, is dancer, is dancing, is dancer, is dancing, is done. Thanks. Just quickly, in addition to uh, both Jay's thoughtful uh, comment around the new floor that we're sitting on in spare room, as well as Stacy's acknowledgement of the fact that we are occupying Coast Salish territory, I also wanted to mention that we are also in Chinatown, and there are obviously a lot of ongoing uh, contentious issues here, and I thought it would be important to acknowledge that and take the time to maybe think about that a little bit. So. In addition to that, we've got our next reader, um, Sam Wisilowski. <laughs> no, I got that. <laughs> so, um, Sam studies poetics at Simon Fraser University. He has presented critical work in Canada, the United States, and England. Some of his writing will appear in Canadian literature later this year. He currently lives in Vancouver on unceded Coast Salish territory. for coming. Um, thanks for the invitation to read, and I would also like to acknowledge for where we are gathered tonight in Coast Salish Territory, Chinatown. Um, admittedly, this is my first reading ever, so I am terrified, absolutely terrified. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought I would contextualize myself a little bit and read uh, two poems by the American poet Jack Spicer, and then I'll read the back and forth. So this first one, I got about 15, 20 minutes? Yep. 15 to 30. Oh, God. <laughs> Six minutes flat. <laughs> <laughs> so this is <clears throat> the opening poem from Spicer's book, Language. This ocean, humiliating in its disguises, tougher than anything, 
No one listens to poetry. The ocean does not mean to be listened to. A drop or crash of water, it means nothing. It is <clears throat> bread and butter, pepper and salt, the death that young men hope for. Aimlessly, it pounds the shore, white and aimless signals. No one listens to poetry. And this is a poem that appears later in the same book. First SF home rainout since, bounce tabby cat giants, newspapers left in my house. My house is Aquarius. I don't believe the water bearer has equal weight on his shoulders. The lines never do. We give equal space to everything in our lives. Eichmann proved that false in killing like you raise wildflowers. Witlessly, I can not accord sympathy to those who do not recognize the human crisis. <laughs> Heavy stuff. Um, <clears throat> first two poems I'll be there. Um, this one just was published by Canadian Literature, uh, so go out and buy it, I guess. <laughs> um, and the second one following it is set to appear sometime later this year, I've been told. Seaside Town. These birds seem to ride a breeze in a light rain. Is that the truth of birds riding the breeze in a light rain? The difference between them screams. Beside the sea spilling out, the beach god sits, stronger than any bird. Not the rain-screwed blind glued to the street. Not erotic longing. Nothing at all beating on the back of the wind. A wet bird. Four. Time, like plastic, lasts forever. You think in prose the poem cuts into. What are you thinking about? The plastic computer eats the signal forever. The evergreen forest, rainstorms, program music are signals. But a diamond, in its loneliness, doesn't outlast anything. The signals pass over into plastic, rainstorms, and program music. Nothing in the uncut diamond. I would write to you in poetry on the computer, and you would read a computer, not the evergreen forest not the lonely little diamond made up inside it. This is called a Troy poem. Seagulls toss over the bay. At a distance, we might walk over there. The grasses on the ground blow like poppies and clothes. The guttural noise of an ocean is never as close as your breathing sounds. You disrupt my mind with wired and unwired signals of desire among strangers. A train song for Karen. The trains come from 500 miles off in the dark or whatever the distance makes of them. People hear them in the cold night moving through your country. People are sleeping. People are sleeping. Passengers sent to different stations when lovers meet their strangers. Saying that I belong to you is a long distance with no interruptions, passes in the visible world deeper than. When the train leaves, the station changes. The station changes. The people flick their minds back on. When I leave the city's central station, the landscape changes, he said. The people flick their minds back on. And this is from a sort of incomplete serial poem, tentatively titled for Phyllis Webb. Life contracts and death comes. There are no delusions. Bay leaves in the soup of the system. Text messages over and over, outside and over and over, over. A drop of care in the ocean won't dissolve. If I had called it Poetland, the words wouldn't move. Without language or the root of language, there is almost a tooth moving in your breath. You're a barnacle in my head, tougher than it. I rumble and you rumble back. The seagull diving toward the parking lot it cannot enter. The route between us, agape, love cruises toward. 
You rumble in my dreams like the inside of an ocean one penetrates beautiful ocean. Inside the computer, one clicks love poems left there. Space enters your life. Words bound to it, too. This is beyond reckoning. In every direction, the universe with a dead center, leading a horse to water. If I called it a water horse bounding across the Pacific Ocean, the meaning wouldn't change in 15 words, years. And this is <clears throat> two things from another serial poem. Um, I find like I keep trying to write these multi-part things, and I usually get about two in, and then it fails dismally. Um, this is called uh, Medieval Poems, and they're dedicated uh, for Peter Quartermain. One. The red tree forest branches outside your house, forbidden forest. Real woodbine growing out of the black ground would not frighten. Death gnaws a bone at the back of nights. We, with bone in our skulls, are not spared. We eat and drink from the same cup, witlessly. Birds in the impossible treetops block the light. Two. A night to slay the dragon is lost in your whole mind. There is nothing for the night walks over it, questing deeper into the forest. If there were a legend for the night to fight through the forest, he fears he would. A dragon or the ghostly foothills, unfucking believable. Your whole mind builds a quest with a grail like grail for the night. Screams in the Night. And this is not part of that series. Um, it's called <laughs> Anna, which uh, some of you might know is the great song by the Pixies from whichever album? <laughs> Any Pixie scholars in the room? <laughs> <laughs> Waves slosh on the beach and a wet branch in the dog's mouth dripping. A swimmer bobs in the water at the tip of desire. People play against the shore, when they shout, arf, arf. <laughs> seagulls dive in the dog's distant barking to receive the sun with passing desire. The swimmer bathes in the blue shoal. <coughs> William Carlos Williams comes to the beach, I guess. <clears throat> A second train song for Carrie. If you miss the train I'm on, you will know that I am gone. There is a train riding out that clangs when I hear it, the ground thatched with grasses rumbling underneath. You're no closer then. The ocean enlarges near your seaside town. The birds change. They grow bigger, hideous brown seagulls eating and shitting, swooping. Not a single bee in those wet flowers standing to gaze at. For love of them, time and distance, which are two words, for empty space ultimately does. The ground held together by grass shifts on the ground. Whether it is lemon or crab, it, like desire, moved me. No closer than you are an image among syllables. And um, the last two poems, another example of the incomplete series, um, called Second Avenue Elegy is dedicated to uh, some friends who live there, who some of them are leaving, and I might be leaving some of them. Um, first one, for Jane, to be lonely in California in the redwood forest besides, grip the ground, the desert grass in the parking lot, supermarket, the food we eat, People buy it, the seed part of the whole fruit. When you ultimately hold a lemon, it designates you, class, place, interests, in being human. All Californians were lonely once, they say, to pretty much everyone else. Their voices hollowed out, the two words for tumbleweed and the two words for seabird flung against the wind from the east. An ache, a pang and transposition, when the land suddenly quakes, don't think I wouldn't crash against the same tremor for the world. This is for steam. Glasgow or Edinburgh, 
The ocean pounds the rock. This land is organized inside and not much else. People walk through it over Viking, Roman, and Druid bones. The skull of Gawain and the Holy Grail miles apart. The skull in a world of real abstractions. The dead are never in sight of each other because of it. Even if none of those awful nights ever went north, the poem still fucking means it. And when I invoke the Holy Grail and say fuck, nothing abstractly happens. Steam to be conversational and stop the dead from penetrating our conversation. There was a dog in the house east of me howling between us. in the wrong things at the worst times. Can you recall that feeling of doubtful hunger that begins after a few too many drinks? I glanced down at my wristwatch. It was almost two in the morning. I got off the bus at the last stop along with everyone else, and the passengers quickly dispersed onto the streets like a group of unexpectedly discovered mice. Now, to catch my train, I had two possible ways to get to the platform. Either continue on to the pedestrian overpass, or through a narrow parlor that sold pizza by the slice. Carefully, I observed the two-level glass showcase that displayed some of the complete and incomplete pizza pies. <laughs> there was a complete pie of cheese that looked like it had just come out of the oven. It looked hot and fresh, but undeniably boring. The other pan had half of a vegetarian that was completed by another half of a pepperoni pizza. <laughs> At least they could have placed the vegetarian and meat pizzas on separate pizza pans. You know, less potential to offend. <laughs> After I made some contemplative facial expressions, the girl impatiently asked from behind the showcase, which one? I asked for a slice of the Hawaiian, but I immediately ex exclaimed with certainty, oh, pepperoni, pepperoni. <laughs> she carelessly placed my slice on the counter and said, 250. While I was searching for the appropriate amount of coins, I noticed that the pizza slice was significantly smaller than the one I saw on display, which was probably from one of the previously baked pizzas that are kept behind the counter. <laughs> I was certain that this slice was cold, which was easy to tell by how rubbery the cheese looked. And to make matters worse, it was obvious that some of the pepperoni toppings were missing. <laughs> the cheesy surface of this slice had shallow indents with oily orange droplets where the meat was <laughs> I kept calm while looking for my coins, and with an assertive tone I asked, 
Is it possible to get a different one? <laughs> Without any hesitation, she robotically said, no. <laughs> and then turned her gaze towards the small lineup of customers to my left. I was too tired to argue, and I tried to forgive her, as I realized she was just doing her job, selling pizza to a lineup of tipsier drunk customers, including myself, at 2 a.m. on a Saturday night. Oh, that's today Saturday too. <laughs> <laughs> I just realized. I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I feel the same. What am I talking about? <laughs> Continuing from my wallet, I finally collected one loonie, five quarters, two dimes, and a nickel. I dropped nine coins in her right palm, and with her left index finger, she flicked through the coins to make sure I had paid the correct amount. I turned to the napkin dispenser to the right of the cash register and then turned back to my decent slice of pizza. To my surprise, my slice had been replaced with a different one, possibly the fresher one I had been eyeing in the showcase. While it was hard to believe, the girl must have changed her mind for some reason. That was a uh, useful request part one. <laughs> 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 I think it's funny too. <laughs> okay. And I will now. Do you guys hear me or what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. I will be reading uh, The Master Tailor. No care label on any wool clothing would ever recommend putting wool in a washing machine. Hand wash only. I ignored the label and made an obvious mistake. <laughs> I was comfortable with minor repairs on my own clothes, usually reinforcing loose buttons or mending small holes. But my basic sewing skills were not sufficient enough to repair this wool sweater. After conducting some research online, I decided to go to the master tailor, who seemed quite reputable according to her numerous positive online reviews. <laughs> the shop was downtown, on the very top floor of a heritage building. I pressed the up button and patiently waited for the elevator, which was holding on the fifth floor. The brass elevator doors opened and the elevator transported me to the top floor while I was preoccupied with my reflection in the elevator's mirror. <laughs> I slowly opened the door and a tiny Vietnamese woman, the master tailor, greeted me with a warm smile while she inserted pins into a jacket worn by her client. <coughs> the tall man looked like a young professional, and seemed to be resizing the jacket to his unusually narrow shoulders. I took a seat on the black leather sofa while I waited for her to finish. The shop was very small, and in the presence of three adults, I felt claustrophobic. I quickly noticed numerous children's toys occupying every corner of the tiny shop, on the windowsill, behind the curtains of the fitting room, between the sofa seats, and even integrated into the Vietnamese altar placed by the floor placed on the floor by the entrance. The young man took off his pin-invested jacket and promised to pick it up next week. As soon as he left, the shop suddenly felt more airy and capacious. I grabbed my sweater and stood, and stood up to show her the several holes, which existed but were hard to find. The master tailor was half my height and size, and under the cool fluorescent lights, her oily forehead shone and her long hair was jet black. After examining the damaged wool sweater, she stated that she would have to mend the holes by hand and that it would take some extra time because she had many alterations that were backed up. It was still September and I wouldn't be wearing the sweater until later, maybe November. I told Master Taylor that it was no rush and that I would come pick it up in that I would come back in October to pick it up. As if autumn was forgotten, the first week of October was colder than some winter days. I started calling, I tried calling the master tailor to see if my sweater was finished, but there was no answer. I assumed my sweater would be ready by now, and I decided to stop by after work. To my surprise, master tailor was not open. The new hours of operation were scribbled on top of the old hours with a sharpie on the folded up sandwich board leaning against the wall. Instead of Monday to Friday, the new days of operation were Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Feeling a bit disappointed, I took a photograph of the new hours and went home. Two weeks later, on a Monday, I decided to pick up my sweater. While I was confident that the shop was open, just before I entered the building, I had an impulse to call the master tailor. 
There was a lot of background noise that sounded like a combination of a child's voice and a wailing baby. She explained to me that the sweater was finished, but that she was not opening today because of an anticipated storm in the afternoon. Somehow, I was not as disappointed as I should have been, and I weighed my, and I weighed my way back home without my sweater again. Another two weeks passed, and it was almost November. Naturally, I was getting annoyed. I had made too many unnecessary efforts to pick the sweater up already. This time, I called her before heading over to her shop, which was closing in 15 minutes. She picked up and said that she was closing soon, but that she would wait for me. I slowly entered the shop and patiently sat on the black leather sofa. Master Taylor was helping her client while holding her sleeping baby in her left arm. The man was shortening the length of his dress pants, and I overheard him say that he was going to wear them to his cousin's wedding that weekend. There was an open door behind Master Taylor, where she did the alterations, I guess. I could see half of a plastic child's bed, and even more poise. While the client hesitated between an 8 or 10 centimeter hem, the baby started crying, and the Master Taylor quickly grabbed the diaper bag that hung behind the entrance door and excused herself for five minutes. When she returned, she apologized for the inconvenience. The man and I softly smiled to reassure her that it was okay, that we understood. The man changed out of his dress pants, and before leaving the tiny shop, he emphasized that the pants must be ready by this coming Friday. As soon as he left the shop, I was able to breathe comfortably again. With her baby still sleeping on her shoulder, Master Taylor looked a bit overwhelmed. With only one arm, she started looking through the dense pile of cheap plastic bags, hoping to find my repaired sweater. has ceased around midnight, but the moist and frigid air had been lingering ever since. I looked down at the time displayed on the microwave. It was almost 2 a.m. A strange young couple wearing furry animal print onesies entered the shop. The girl resembled a tiger, and the boy was supposed to be a bear, I think. They asked for one slice of each pizza in the pizza showcase. The 12 slices of pizza fit perfectly in the extra-large pizza box. They tried paying with two different debit cards, but the transactions were not approved due to insufficient funds. The couple eventually dug out enough small bills and coins out of their backpacks and pockets. After managing the short lineup of six or seven people that formed while the couple's transactions were being denied, I caught a glimpse of the homeless person who always succeeded in snatching a couple of pop cans from the recycling bin by the entrance. Soon after, a customer passive aggressively informed me that the ranch dressing was out. <laughs> One of those. <laughs> I saw the last express bus pass by just outside of this door window. Usually it gets a bit busy around the time the last bus arrives, and when the last train is about to leave the station, especially on a Saturday night. A young woman walked in and began to study the pizza slices in the showcase. It was obvious that it would take a while for her to decide what she wanted. Her eyes were only half open anyway. <laughs> I continued folding cardboard pizza boxes, one of my favorite clothing duties. I assumed she was ready to order, and I approached her. Her eyes were moving quickly between two slices on the top shelf of the showcase. <laughs> I lost my place. <laughs> okay. My cell phone started to vibrate in my apron, a phone call. I asked her what she wanted. She replied Hawaiian, but of course she changed her mind and cried pepperoni, pepperoni. <laughs> <laughs> I turned around to take a look at to look. I turned around and took a slice of pepperoni from an extra pizza made by mistake for a delivery earlier in the evening. I probably grabbed the worst slice because it was unusually small and half of the pepperoni were missing. <laughs> the new trainee must have cut the large pizza as if it were an extra large, making twelve slices instead of eight. 
My boss is very serious about selling the older pizzas before the new ones. On weekdays, if I take a slice from an older pizza, I usually put it in the oven for a minute so that it warms up again. While on weekends, it's too busy for that. Most people are too drunk to even notice or care anyway. 250, I said. She pulled out her wallet and slowly started to look for her coins in, in the coin pocket. It would have been easier if she just used one of her several $5 bills that I can see in the bill compartment. <laughs> Perhaps she needed the bills for something else. Or maybe she didn't even realize she had them. As she pointed at the parts of the pizza that were missing pepperoni, she proceeded to ask for a different slice. I was hoping that she wouldn't notice, but she did, and I just said no. <laughs> I felt bad. I felt bad, but I was just doing my job, even though she wasn't getting what she was about to pay for. She continued looking for the rest of her coins. I think she just needed another quarter or two. I felt uncomfortable in voluntarily scamming her, and suddenly felt bad for this young lady. <laughs> After all, she was, you know, heavily tipsy and slightly drunk, buying a piece of slice at slice of pizza at such an hour. <laughs> I looked over to my right and noticed that my boss wasn't making pizza or taking a delivery order. He was probably outside having a cigarette while chatting with his friend through his Bluetooth headset. <laughs> I quickly returned the older pepperoni absent slice of pizza on the pizza rack behind me and replaced the young woman's pizza with a newer slice, the one she was looking at in the showcase. My cell phone started to vibrate again. Maybe it was my boss. The young woman dropped the coins in my palm, and I counted them to make sure it was exact. I've had too many customers trying to get away without paying the full amount by paying with a disorienting number of coins. <laughs> Yesterday, the till was $4 short, so I had to pay that amount out of my own pocket. The young woman finally realized that her size had been replaced, and she left looking a bit dumbfounded. <coughs> I just hoped that she would get home safely. writer and curator. He is director of Spare Room, a subsidiary of Rice Cooker Hair Salon Incorporated, a non-profit organization that explores the composition of theories and objects through the lens of artistic practices. Yoon is a graduate of UBC Art History and currently works in Vancouver from 222, a studio building in Chinatown. Mm. <laughs> 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 so I'm a bit, I was a bit late editing this, so I'm going to re read it off my phone. <laughs> um, so I want to preface this a little bit, because, um, so this title, this, I guess you call it a series, um, the series is called uh, The Bus as Hostile Architecture. And uh, this is the second iteration of it. The first one is on the very first shot query issue, and this is number two. Um, number one is on the first shot query issue, and number two will be on the number three. It's really confusing. Oh. But anyways, <laughs> um, anyways um, so I, I've been riding the bus since I was eight, and I, I think Steph encouraged me to write on experiences of buses. It's not necessarily original experiences. I'm sure everyone has experienced certain bus experiences, whether it be negative or positive, in some way or form. But um, <laughs> I guess it just my observant uh, tendencies tend to come out when, when I wrote these. So mm. here we go. Um, so these are this particular uh, iteration of the bus's hostile architecture focuses on strictly on the people that I've come across and um, yeah so I wrote a tiny little poem before I start on the actual um, let's call it character observations and they are maybe about four different people that I'm going to talk about anonymously um, so the subtitle is well, the title called uh, Busta's Hostile Architecture Number 2, and the subtitle, I guess you call it, is Stories of Regulars. Mm. They shared the bus with me. Sometimes I play a game. 
as to where they will sit. I'm always right. <laughs> because people are predictable. But mostly because patterns form subconsciously. So the first uh, writing is actually... Oh, wait, no, that's not the one. So the first one is called Dollar Twenty-Five, And this actually um, specifically... <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, dollar uh, twenty-five. The context of that is this was back in 1998 when the bus used cost dollar twenty-five. Uh, I'm 99.9% .9 sure it was dollar twenty-five after um, research. Anyways, um, so uh, this was when I was in fifth grade back in 1998. This was approximately 3:20 p.m. when it happened, and I know, <laughs> I know this because. Okay, I actually, I'll, I'll explain it when I read this. So I, I know this because I get off at 2.50 from school in fifth grade, and then I have to <laughs> walk about half an hour to the bus stop, which is next to a church that is um, no longer church. It's a coffee shop. So um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk now about this. Dollar <laughs> 25. 3.20 p.m. 1998, 5th grade. <laughs> um, I'm running for the bus. It only comes through the main road, and school is a bit of a walk from it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I run and run to the bus stop that I always go to, the one beside a church that looks like a community center, or a community center that looks like a church. I went back to this location years later to find that this church center has turned into a cafe. The bus narrowly misses me, but I managed to create enough of a fuss that I can wave it down for the extra 10 seconds while I run and catch up to it. Completely out of breath, I get on. As I walk past the driver, he confronts me and says, Did I wait for you? The driver is a bit shy of middle age with a slight comb over and a pair of large translucent frame glasses. Okay, I was writing this and the best description of this person is Neil Hamburger. <laughs> Neil Hamburg looks exactly like Neil Hamburg's movie. Okay, so um, where am I? Did I wait for you? The bus is a bit short, middle age, and with a slight comb over and a pair of large translucent framed glasses. I managed to drag out an answer similar to yes. He looks at me with utter disapproval. That and then um, he says, "Then you say thank you," <laughs> as if to scold me for having been so rude to not acknowledge his gesture of kindness. Um, so this one is another uh, person that I um, run into a lot. I don't actually know him personally, but um, I always see him and his, uh, his name is, well, I call him the, the very large man. <laughs> this regular that I ride the bus with is a very large man. He, appear, he appears to be narcoleptic. He is nodding off every 30 seconds, and I always see him in the bus, in the 1 a.m. bus. He misses his stop half the time and seems to be an ongoing joke with the bus drivers during one of the loops where they all congregate to discuss <laughs> shitty passengers in unison. A very large man seems to have a serious lung problem. He coughs out his entire organs until all seats within six feet radius is left vacant. <laughs> he also falls asleep at a level that can be considered narcolepsy, as I've mentioned before, and he is so out of it. He has coughing fits all the time, and nowadays uh, I've run into him sporadically, and he has started to bring a guitar case with him to the bus. I like to think that he is the DJ for a very large sports stadium because he looks the part in my mind. <laughs> now, this is an exception because um, this is not a person that I run into frequently. This is the only exception of this, but I, I thought I'd include it because um, I was very interested in taking the metro and the bus when I was in Tokyo not too long ago. And um, this uh, person, I named it Shopping Spree. Um, oh. Um, I need to know if anyone speaks Japanese here. Does anyone know? Um, this is kind of important. I totally forgot. Does shopping? What? What? Can? Does anyone know what shopping is in Japanese? Kaimono. Kaimono. Okay. Kaimono. <coughs> okay. So, that's relevant. Okay. Um, 
I am the I'm riding the metro. Train is quite empty with the odd seat here and there. The woman that looks to be similar age as I get on, gets on the bus or gets on the train with an older woman. Perhaps family, perhaps not. The younger woman is wearing a white mask, as a lot of people in Tokyo does. And all of a sudden, she starts yelling, uh, Kamala? She starts, she gets up, she gets from above, she gets up from her seat, she starts to bang on the metro train. And she goes, Shopping! And then, um, she continues this behavior, but no one seems to acknowledge her, um, obviously. And um, this continues on for the next 15 minutes. And, um, uh, sorry. So she starts to bang on the train window as she yells shopping over and over until the woman calms her down and leaves from a station. Um, the next next one is called scrape of the barrel level socialization. <laughs> Running for the bus once again, I see someone I recognize at the stop, who I almost never run into. Catching my breath, I ask, "How are you?" They answer, "Hey, I'm good. I've just been." My bus arrives abruptly as she's about to respond to my small talk, only after a few words in. I have to catch this. I hate going for the bus. I cut them off. I'm so sorry to do this, but I have to catch the bus. I make that stupid face that everyone makes when they want to project empathy, but require that they maintain their stance of saying no. I think to myself, that was not nice. To initiate small talk, the bottom feeder of human socialization, only to leave them in the cold while right away in a heated vessel. <laughs> the, the next one is the 80s businessman in navy blue. <laughs> he is already there when I get on the bus. I see him sitting in the back and, as always, wearing a dark blue suit, at least a size too big for him, coupled with an equally large overcoat. He has a black leather messenger bag that has multiple cracked sections from wear and tear that he rests on his lap. Just can you read louder? Okay. He has a black <laughs> He has a black leather messenger bag that has multiple cracked sections from wear and tear that he rests on his lap. This bag looks like it has been used every day for the last 15 years. He has a haircut that is about an inch in length with a slightly receding hairline. Every 15 seconds, he fidgets in his seat, looking for something in his bag. He never seems to find what he's looking for and stops for a short period, only to look again and again for the duration of the bus ride. He looks concerned. He fixes his glasses intermittently and seems uneasy about people sitting next to him. About 15 minutes in, he continues to fidget, but this time is different as he finally takes out something. It is a transparent plastic bag labeled Dempsters. <laughs> it's originally a bag used to house a loaf of bread, which I have seen in grocery stores for $4.99. <laughs> Within it, he takes out something from another package it is covered in wax paper. Inside it looks to be a sandwich. I get the feeling that his mouth is very dry. <laughs> Every time he chews, it does not sound succulent or enjoyable. <laughs> like eating dry cereal without milk. He seems like he's just stuffing nutrients into his mouth to fill the void. I can't smell anything else on that sandwich. Is he just eating two slices of bread? <laughs> the smell of yeast fills the bus interior. It's not quite a punch of aroma. 
but enough to notice that the bread could be slightly expired. <laughs> Every single day I see him on bus, and this is his ritual. He looks so uneasy that I just want to give him a hug. <laughs> if not, I imagine he will explode in a fit of anxiety. Thank you.